electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I've been one of my friends trying to make you some money. My job is not just to teach, but to entertain. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Can't feel good about a market they can send down. Stocks of Coca-Cola or PepsiCo as easily as crush Apple or Microsoft. Hey, this thing is just plain off. Dow dropping another 237 points today. S&P falling 0.58%. NASDAQ declining just 0.26%, but dragged down by the relentless trashing of the transports, the communications, and, of course, the bank stocks. So, you know what? I'm going to deviate a little here. I want to tell you a story because it fits this moment perfectly. So, last night I got home a little bit before my wife poured myself a mezcal the way that my dad poured himself a wild turkey when he got home after a tough day of making no sales at his packaging business. Lisa had gone to get me some ground coffee, super nice as always, and she could see I was down, not even waiting for her to come home before a cocktail. Bad form. What was wrong, she asked. I told her Cisco blew up. And then I explained what that meant, what blowing up, man, how much I wanted Chuck Robbins, CEO of Cisco, to have a good she reminded me, I always say that it's not about friends, it's about money. So maybe I should just accept the fact that we're going into a recession. Stocks are horrible. Chuck can't do a darn thing about that. So give up already. Just sell it. Just sell everything. I told her that usually after big down days like yesterday, tech rebounds. So it's not a good idea. It's true. If you take the last time we were down like yesterday, June 11, 2020, when the S&P 500 lost 5.89% and the Dow lost 6.9%, if you bought tech then, you did typically. A week later, Microsoft was up 4.8%, Amazon 4.5%, Apple up 4%. Starts to be a fantastic time to buy. I also took a bit of umbrage, frankly, that I was supposed to be tough on Cisco's Chuck Robbins because he's tough enough on himself. He took the hit on Russia because of the war, but he got hurt by the shutdown in Shanghai that froze up key components. So she said, look, Jim, you got two, you got two choices. I could explain why Cisco disappointed, going over all the myriad issues that made Robbins miss the quarter. Or I could just say, it's not worth it. It's time to sell. Sell aggressively. Because she had also heard the Target was down huge yesterday. And a market that crushes both Cisco and Target is a market that just ain't got anything going for it. And then she said it. 
She said it. You're too bullish. You're hopelessly optimistic. And there it is. That is the issue. Despite all that's going wrong, all the usual suspects, inflation, Ukraine, China shut down, higher gasoline, I can still see a way to make things work. Am I ready to throw in the tail? Don't get me wrong. I can acknowledge everything that's going wrong. I can see the bear thesis clear as day. Uh, I got bear thesis for a bunch of stocks we own for the charitable trust. You can follow along by joining the CBC Investing Club. I'll even spell them out for you. These are stocks that my trust actually owns. I'm going to give you the bear cases. Let's start with Apple. If you extrapolate Cisco's month of April to Apple, then you're talking about a shortfall of greater magnitude than the $8 billion, which they figured, a much higher end uh, price tag than what they're thinking about, just based on real problems in China. If Shanghai is as shut down as Chuck says, then the 45 points that Apple's lost since its high simply won't be enough to reflect the full horror of the situation. It'd be easy to say sell Apple here because if they came out tomorrow and said it's more than an $8 billion hit, the stock's going to drop more than 20 points. Look at that. Bear case against NVIDIA. company makes the best graphics cards in the world. Absolutely. They're using both gaming and data center. But video games are oh so pandemic and all the COVID winners are being killed. What's the point of owning NVIDIA when you know the stock won't even get credit if the numbers are good anyway? And if the numbers are bad, it's going to get the Cisco treatment, down nearly 14% today. Except unlike Cisco, NVIDIA's got no dividend protection. It'd be easy to tell you to sell NVIDIA. You'd almost have to be crazy not to sell it. Third bear case against Costco. You mean to tell me after Walmart and Target get crushed that Costco somehow won't? That, are they immune just because they got some membership model? The team at Costco would have to be superhuman to navigate the situation. Isn't it just another retailer at the end of the day? The reaction to Target, Walmart, and then raw storage after close, they says, you got to stay away from that one. Toxic. For AMD. Oh, the bears have got it easy on this one. Do you really think that CEO Lisa Sue is so good that she can sidestep the same problems that dragged down Cisco? Can this semiconductor company focused on high-performance computing, gaming, and PCs with a smattering of other businesses actually do the numbers? Last time they beat the numbers, the stock went down anyway. Why even bother with AMD? Why? Five, the case against Alphabet. It didn't even do well last time. Isn't time to just take your lumps and move on? Go home. Last time they got hurt by uh, slowing YouTube numbers in Central Europe. Uh, next time, want to be uh, all of Europe? Easy to say. You should just get out while they're getting still relatively good. If I had no hope, those are the arguments I'd be making in all five of these stocks. They're all legit, all rational. There are two problems with what I just traced out. One is that these are all what I call core holdings for the charitable trust, high-quality companies that we have tremendous faith in despite any short-term concerns. The trust has owned these names for a very long time, and I don't think this challenging moment is that much more worse than other challenging moments that we have dealt with where we stuck with our favorites and it worked out just fine. Second, as a concession to how miserable the market is, one that can send down soft drinks and software at the same time, I actually did trim every core position for the Chapel Trust not that long ago because I do truly dislike this market. I do. Now, I'd be the first to admit that I wish the trust owned less stock here. I mean, who doesn't? But we still bought some yesterday and today because when this market gets this oversold, think the June of 2020, then it makes sense to bet on a bounce and then you can trim. In the end, as much as I can recite the negatives about these five stocks in my sleep, I remain unshakable in my belief that after the smoke clears, they will be higher, not lower. For example, it's almost impossible for me to believe that Apple isn't having a horrible quarter. But the trust has owned Apple through a lot of bad quarters over the years. and It's been a fabulous winner. 
I lived through the NVIDIA shortfall from the drop-off in Bitcoin mining, particularly Ethereum, the last time the crypto crashed. I've liked Alphabet since $88, and it's disappointed me numerous times over the course of its long march to 2200. AMD's been unbearable for huge swaths of points, including the last 66 points down. Oh, and how about the 185 points that Costco just lost? What does it take to shake me out of that already? The answer in each case, my charitable trust is not renting these stocks. It's owning pieces of these companies. At times, these companies will not do well. But they're amazing businesses with amazing management. I'll give them another chance to have amazing stocks, too, because historically that's been the right call. Yes, this market is terrible. It is awful. On some days like yesterday, I do want to go home, pour myself a mezcal, and close the door. But that's not how you make money. The bottom line, over the long haul, I think the best way to make money is by believing, not disbelieving, by owning, not renting, by taking the pain and engaging, not slamming the door and hiding in the bedroom. That's why I'm here every night, rain or shine. David Alabama, Dave. Hey, Booyah, Jim from Gulf Shores, Alabama on the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, I love it there. I'm, a, I'm kind of a Golden Grape 98 guy myself. What's up? Hey, Kroger. Kroger. I bought Kroger. I uh, thought it was a nice fit with a uh, agricultural wheat and corn ETF that I had. thought it was going to be a nice fit. Consumer, uh, you know, a consumer staple. You're getting killed. Uh, well, I don't well, know whether uh, you know, on. it's a relative thing. The stock is up 6% for the year, and that's why people still, uh, there are people who are hiding in Kroger, is, what, is the way we call it. I think Kroger's doing a remarkable job. I think Rodney McMullen is doing a remarkable job. I always would invite Rodney to come on the show. That's how well he's doing. And I think that Kroger is a stock you want to hang with, not run from. Brian in Maryland. Brian. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Not bad. Trying to stick with it. How about you? All right, pretty good. I'm a big fan of your uh, show in the morning on Flock, and I appreciate all of your uh, advice. Thank you. uh, Yeah, it's great. Um, So my question today is about Qualcomm. Um, I'm about 152 cost basis. It's trading around 13 times, which if the market's around 17, shooting for maybe 16, it seems to be a little undervalued to me. The buying back stock last four quarters, See an inventory building on the balance sheet. Uh, what are your thoughts? You think well, that should? I, I think Chris Schumann. No, I think I want you to hold it. Chris Schumann's fantastic. He's a CEO. Uh, it's actually really about eleven times. They are buying back a lot of stock. They do have a lot of business in China, and as we know from uh, Chuck Robbins last night at Cisco, if you're in China, it's possible that you've been shut down. Their handset makers in China are doing quite poorly. But how about we just ride this one out? Qualcomm has, I'd say, 15 down and 50 up, and that is a decent risk-reward where I'm from. This is a tough moment for the market, an awful moment. But remember, over the long term, I think the best way to make money is by believing, not disbelieving, and by owning not renting. All Mad Money tonight. With every day that natural gas prices spend at near their highest levels in over a decade, the case for nuclear energy grows. I'm sitting down with the CEO of Constellation Energy to see if an investment in that stock could have your portfolio seeing stars. Then I'm taking a look at the defense sector and telling you if some names in the group could offer the right protection in an uncertain market. And cybersecurity powerhouse Palo Alto Networks reported its quarterly results after the close. I'm sitting down with the CEO, fresh off the report. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With each day that natural gas prices are at or near their highest levels in over a decade, the case for nuclear energy grows. That was our thesis back in March when we recommended the stock of Constellation Energy. That's the nuclear-focused independent power producer that was spun up by Exelon earlier this year. Since then, the stock's rallied a few bucks, vastly outperforming the broader stock market. But Constellation Energy is not a simple story. When you bet on nuclear power, you're betting that the government will keep subsidizing these plants, and there won't be any major incidents that turn people against the excellent source of carbon-free energy, which we've liked since we started the show in 2005. So tonight we want to check in and take a closer look with Joe Dominguez. He's the president and CEO of Constellation Energy. You get a better sense of the story. Mr. Dominguez, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim, and thanks for profiling the company. Oh, absolutely. You know what? I'm going to give you the floor to introduce it to yourself, uh, to everyone else, because you know it better than I do. But I'm so glad you watched that segment because we're very proud of what you're doing. So go tell us, tell people what Constellation does. Well, look, I think the U.S. should be very proud of what we're doing. We uh, produce about 10 percent of the U.S. clean energy. That is energy without air pollution. And as Jim, you know, you indicated, it's mostly nuclear power plants. We own 23 of them. Uh, far and away, the largest holder of nuclear pl- power plants in the U.S., but we have renewables as well, big hydro as well. Uh, so, you know, to put it in perspective, we produce about as much clean energy as our next two largest competitors combined. 
And in terms of the emissions profile of our fleet, we're far and away the least emissions for a large fleet. So we do that. We're number one in the U.S. on that. And we're also number one on providing energy and energy solutions to commercial industrial customers across the country. So uh, believe it or not, we actually supply more energy than we produce, even though we're one of the largest producers of energy in the country. Now, that to us is exactly what you should be trying to be in growth industry. At the same time, we understand, though, you need the government uh, to this, this. Just this afternoon, Secretary Jennifer Granholm tweeted, let's usher in the new era of nuclear reactors to accelerate our clean energy renaissance. And then with it was a uh, one five different kinds of reactors that seem like these small modules that we can do. Is there really, though, sir, is there really a clean energy renaissance that involves nuclear power in our country? I think I think there's going to have to be, Jim. Here's the story. From the beginning of time in our industry to now, we have to match the production of energy with the consumption of energy. And renewables are terrific and the new storage technologies are fantastic. But the reality is we need more forms of clean energy that operate all the time. So I think this next generation of reactors could do that. As you indicated in your opening, one of the big things here is policy support. And we're seeing strong support in Europe and strong support now in the U.S. for new nuclear technologies. I think it's an end-of-the-decade look. And what I think is going to need to happen for this to come to fruition is that the government is going to have to backstop some of the initial construction. Uh, so that we could get, you know, some of the kinks out of the construction cycle out of the way with some support. If that happens, no doubt about it. I mean, look at we're putting windmills in the middle of the ocean and we're running power lines back to the shore and we're committed to making that happen. If we have that same sort of commitment around this next generation of reactors. There's no doubt we'll be talking about it in the future as a success story. I know that there is no necessary race to see who's doing the most, but Canada and Poland are far ahead of us, as is France. And yet here we have, say, General Electric right here. They know how to build these things. Like, what is keeping us back from the small module reactor, which seems like such a natural for retail, for every single utility out there? We talked about it, Jim. It's exactly what you said at the beginning. It's governmental commitment and support to getting the technology started, so that you could build the first units and get to nth stage efficiencies in the construction and operation of these units. That's what it's all about. There's nothing, you know, this isn't rocket science at the end of the day. We know the technology. It's been deployed in other countries. We've operated it now for near a half a century. We know how to do this. Just requires commitment. Okay, so how about uranium, which we know uh, Russia is such an important provider of? How do we make sure that we're not like Germany uh, handcuffed to the Russians? Well, we've been uh, moving down the use of Russian fuels for a while, where about 19% of the fuel services are now around the Russians. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but initially, you know, 10 years ago, we were encouraged to do business with the Russians in the so-called megatons to megawatts program. So we'd use some of their uh, actually nuclear uh, uh, fuels that they were using for bombs, we use a very degraded form of that in reactors, and we're encouraged to do that. There's no doubt about it, Jim. We could move completely off Russian fuels in a relatively short period of time. But there again, 
some of the talk on Capitol Hill has to actually get past the finish line in creating a domestic fuels industry. We've been in those conversations. I think there's a lot of excitement about it. But we ought not think we're going to do the next generation of reactors without thinking about the fuel cycle as well. Now, when I think of nuclear reactors, I think of the ones I covered through my island as a reporter. I covered an accident at Rancho Seco as a reporter. Uh, and I know, obviously, Chernobyl and Fukushima. It, are these what is keeping people? I mean, these these happen. I know that they're bad. They did happen. But is that what people silently are saying is why we shouldn't build more nukes? I think so. I, you know, I, I think when there are issues in the industry, they have outsized impact because we're using words like radiation and other things. But importantly, Jim, all of those incidents you just talked about included, according to the World Health Organization, nuclear energy is one of, if not the safest form of energy in the world today. Well, look, we're going to have to leave it at that. I want you to come back on. This is a passion of ours. I know these small modular reactors are going to be big in Canada and Poland, and I know that this is our way out of a lot of different jams. It just rolled back the tape to, unfortunately, four, three mile, and we just never thought about this stuff. And it can come back again. I want to thank Joe Dominguez, President and CEO of Constellation Energy. Sorry we spent so much time talking about uranium because there's so much good happening at this company. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, could the best offense for your portfolio be found in the defense industry? Kramer dams the torpedoes to make you money. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. We're caught in a truly heinous bear market, beaten down by rampant inflation, raising the cost of everything and the possibility of a recession as the Federal Reserve slams the brakes on the economy to cool it down. But you know what? Even in an ugly situation, you can still find winners, which is our job, although the list of workable ideas does seem to shrink by the day. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, you've got good reasons to feel very discouraged. However, there's at least one industry that's booming right now. And it will keep booming regardless of what happens with the Fed in particular or the U.S. economy in general. And I'm talking about the defense industry, which is on fire. Perhaps you may think for all the wrong reasons, but it's on fire. As the Russian invasion of Ukraine approaches the end of its third month, and we get another round of Western military assistance for the Ukrainians, including the $40 billion aid package that Congress just passed today, 
the defense contractors in this country are in great shape. Now, it's not just the war itself. It's what the war means for the rest of Europe. The major European powers spent decades disarming themselves after the end of the Cold War. But now Russia's psychotic expansionism has everybody rethinking that policy and reinvesting in defense. A lot of people thought we lived in a world where conventional warfare between modern armies was borderline unthinkable. But now we're witnessing one of those wars unfold in real time. So leaders around the world are desperate to remilitarize. And, and we see it in the stock market. When you look at the main sector ETF that serves as proxies for the aerospace and defense cohort, I mean, take a look. They're all down way less than the major averages for 2022. In fact, the Invesco Aerospace and Defense ETF and the iShares U.S. Aerospace and Defense ETF, there's a mouthful, right, are only down 4 or 5% during a period where the S&P 500 has plunged 18%. I know. When we start talking about relative down 4 or 5, it does seem like we're making excuses. But I need you to know where they stand. Because you know what? This is just the beginning. If the defense contractors can hold up this well during the worst tape in years, I bet they can soar when the market gets a little less hostile. Again, the war in Ukraine has become a total game changer here. From 2014, when Russia first annexed the Crimean uh, Peninsula and the start of their latest invasion, our government sent $2.7 billion of military aid to Ukraine. Just since the start of the war, we've already shelled out another $3.8 billion in explicit military aid. And you know what? Today, Congress approved a lot more. $20 billion of the $40 billion legislation that passed today is earmarked for military aid for Ukraine and other allies in the region. Even before the new bill, Ukraine had surpassed Israel to become the number one recipient of U.S. military aid this year. That's extraordinary. What if the war ends tomorrow, though? I'm sure some people are saying, please, short term. While I doubt that will happen because Putin can't afford to admit defeat, that's how dictators get ousted, I'm still bullish on the defense industry and the stocks. Why? Because so far, nearly all the military aid to Ukraine has come from existing stockpiles. When we send them 2,000 Javelin anti-tank missiles, we're literally sending the missiles from our own stockpile, not just cutting a check to the manufacturer. That means sooner or later we'll have to order new equipment to backfill those stockpiles. And the same is true for every other country that's been running guns to Ukraine. This process takes time, but it means big long-term business for the defense industry. In fact, $8.7 billion of the Ukraine bill that passed today is earmarked simply for replenishing our own stockpiles. That money's never going to leave our shores. Plus, the ripple effects here are enormous. When President Biden unveiled his defense budget in the 2023 fiscal year, he asked for a 4% increase, take it to $813 billion. I bet Congress takes that number much further, because who wants to vote against defense spending when we've got a newly belligerent Russia to worry about? Remember, China keeps trying to provoke Taiwan with these military flyovers. Another thing to worry about. Although maybe they'll be deterred by Russia's miserable experience in Ukraine. It's almost like we're back in the Cold War before the Sino-Soviet split, except this time there's much less of an ideological component and no Manchurian candidate is yet to service, at least that I know of. And it's not just the United States. You know, even Germany has announced a dramatic change in its defense policy. They're going to spend a lot more on the military over the next decade, including a $100 billion Euro defense fund. A couple of months ago, the Germans ordered 35 new F-35 fighter jets made by Lockheed Martin with components from many smaller operators, too. Finally, there's the prospect of new countries joining NATO in order to protect themselves from Russia. Both Finland and Sweden are trying to join, although some member states are holding up the process so they can use it as a bargaining chip with our government. Turkey objected, but that's simply that's possibly really because they want U.S. approval to buy 40 new F-16 fighter jets. If Sweden and Finland do join, they'll have to substantially boost the defense spending as part of their treaty obligations. But then again, they probably do it anyway, given that they live right next door to Russia. 
They will buy from us because this is one industry where America still makes the absolute best stuff, provided we don't use cheap Chinese steel in the process. So which companies benefit the most from the new world order? Let's start with low-hanging fruit, the Javelin missile, which has become a symbol of Ukrainian resistance. This is a man-portable anti-tank weapon that's been devastating Russia armored vehicles. The Javelin program is a joint venture between Lockheed Martin and Raytheon Technologies, two titans of the defense industry we like a lot. We've already sent 5,500 of these things to Ukraine since the war began, but our current production capacity is only 2,100 per year. However, Lockheed CEO Jim Takelet, frequent guest of the show, has said they're boosting that to 4,000 as fast as they can. Hey, speaking of missiles, you know, we got to mention the Stinger anti-aircraft system, which is another man-portable anti-aircraft weapon that Ukrainians are using to knock Russian helicopters out of the sky. Same thing their predecessors did to the Soviets in Afghanistan in the 1980s. The Stinger is a Raytheon product, although they, they said not to expect any replenishment until 2023 or 2024. They do not make that much money in that program. As for Lockheed, they're major military players in military aviation including the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, the war in Ukraine has really shown the value of air superiority because the Russians don't have it, and that's a major reason they haven't been able to win. Next, our government recently sent dozens of howitzers to Ukraine, and it's been a game changer because they can now counter Russia's heavy artillery. These howitzers were made by BAE Systems, British Aerospace Defense Contractor, which primarily trades in London. We made the best howitzers in, well, France used to make the best howitzer World War I. We made great, great howitzers in World War II. But uh, the, believe me when I say that they need 10 times what they've been given if they just want to be competitive against the Russians. And then there are the switchblade lethal drones from AeroVironment. We've highlighted these before. They can fly for hours as the operator searches for a target and then fly right into them kamikaze style. Now, we've only sent 700 of these so far. But we, we recently had AeroVironment CEO on the show, and he said they can quickly scale up production if necessary, as long as the government can get them the necessary chips. I can tell you, they could use another 1,500. That's the number of Soviet tanks that were destroyed in the Battle of Kursk, and Putin's a real World War II buff. Finally, I do like Northrop Grumman, which makes everything from drones to bombers to military-grade cybersecurity tools. On their latest conference call, they said their surveillance assets were being used aggressively in Ukraine. And they also have a lot of nuclear program exposure via ground-based missiles and bombers, something we might spend more money on if Putin keeps saber-rattling about nukes. Here's the bottom line. I don't want to be a war profiteer like Cal in East of Eden, but the Russian invasion of Ukraine is a game-changer for the defense industry, and you really have to be clueless not to notice. That's why I like Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Aero Environment, and Northrop Grumman here. Ronald in Massachusetts. Ronald. Hello, Mr. Kramer. I am a longtime listener, and thank you for your professional insights in investments in the stock market. And I have made money with your recommendations. My question is thank about you. Union Pacific. UNP just raised its dividend 10% in the face of mounting market losses. It has a good mix of freight. Do you think I should continue to hold or sell? You know, I, I had the same conversation with Jeff Marks, my partner for uh, uh, for the CNBC Investing Club, and we both felt that down here it's back to back to almost two and a half percent yield. We sold it much much higher. It's down badly. We think it's going to have a second day down, and then we want to look at it again because it is not an expensive stock versus what can happen with West Coast ports. So I think you should, you uh, Ronald should hold on to it. And thank you for those kind words that said that you make money with me because that does keep me in the game, Richard in Virginia. Richard. Hi, Jim. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and I'm uh, thanking you for your hard work. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're, you're great. Uh, I wanted, I wanted some, if you had some encouragement for me for Cummings Engine, it's, it's in my IRA. 
I'm down to about 10% on it, which is better than most people, I guess. Uh, I write calls against it, reinvest the dividends, but it just seems to be sitting there as quite a worth to Sparrow and not doing anything. Well, let me give you another side on this one, Richard. If people think we're going to recession, this stock acts incredibly well. Uh, and one of the reasons why it does is because it's one of the greatest manufacturers in the world. I happen to think Cummins Engines, we had the pleasure of meeting, meeting them. We were in Indiana. They are fantastic at what they do. I'm going to encourage you to own it. Almost yield 3%, and we're going to have new truck cycles all the time. Their engines are fantastic. All right, guys, the defense industry is booming right now. It is not talked enough enough, and this is why I like Raytheon Technologies, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and when we just had these guys on, you know the stock went up big right after we had them on? People, listen, there's still much money to be made in this stock. Hey, much more made money yet. In a more selective market, is it time to circle back to dependable themes? I'm eyeing the cybersecurity space with the CEO of, yes, once again, an amazing performer, Palo Alto Networks. Then I'm offering Chairman Powell a few ideas to help get this economy back on track. And I'm a little tougher than you might expect. You don't want to miss it. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Then every tech stock peaked last November. Some groups keep rallying until the whole market went south last month and all things tech got tossed in the meat grinder. I think it's worth circling back to the subsectors that head off the longest, like cybersecurity. It's a business we know is doing just fine, maybe better than ever considering that everybody now wants to fight back against Russian state-sponsored hackers. Look at Palatone Networks. It's the best-of-breed cybersecurity operator with a stock that made a new all-time high as recently as a month ago. But thanks to this indiscriminate sell-off, it's come down more than 30% from its highs. Clearly, Wall Street got too negative, though, because Palo Alto reported tonight, and once again, they delivered a magnificent quarter. They beat on every major line item, management even raised their full-year forecast again. And that's why the stock's now soaring in after-hours trading. So could this be the beginning of a larger rebound? Let's take a closer look with Nikesh Aurora. Nikesh is the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Hear more about the quarter, where his company's headed. Mr. Aurora, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me. Nikesh, 16th, 16th conference call. Third straight raise? How are you able to continue to raise when everyone else is struggling to even keep their numbers? So, Jim, uh, as you appreciate, this is my fourth year anniversary. uh, And we went back and looked at what you and I talked about four years ago. We talked about building a cloud security business and getting ourselves ready for SASE. We talked about taking share in firewalls and building more capability around zero trust. And we talked about figuring out a way of applying AI and machine learning. And I'm delighted to report that it's working. We grew our billings 40%. This is the best quarter we've had in four years. I think it's important to point out that when you came in, everyone said, you'll just do deal after deal after deal. I don't see deals. I just see execution. I think you did have to change the company's, uh, the, the makeup of the company. But it is where you want it now, clearly. Well, Jim, look, uh, the biggest question I got when I came was, Customers do not consolidate cybersecurity because they want to buy best of breed from whoever's got it. I said, yes, I understand. That means we have to have all the best of breed. In the last three and a half years, we have 14 products in best of breed categories. This is a feat that has not been achieved by most tech companies. So now that we have 14 products in their best of breed categories, four of which we got last quarter, 
We go to customers and say, you want this, we got this. You want this, we got this. And by the way, all this stuff works together. You don't have to put in the effort integration. You don't have to go hire tons of people because there's a shortage of security people. We'll do the integration automation for you. And that's the strategy that's working. It's very clear to me it's working because uh, most companies that have 40% growth, frankly, are losing money. You had 40% year over year total billings, 1.8 billion remaining performance obligation, which is basically cash, 6.9 billion. This is an extraordinary acceleration. Where are these customers coming from? Well, Jim, when I came, we were growing in the low 20s. Now we're growing at 40%. And I don't think this movie is over. I think cybersecurity is becoming more and more important. Our customers are finally realizing that they can't do this themselves. Whilst we don't talk about ransomware all the time, I'll tell you, there's hundreds of current ransomware discussions going on right now because hundreds of customers out there are locked up. And when they go through that moment, they want to make sure they get the best security. They want to make sure it works. And they want to make sure they get it from a partner who's going to be there for the long term. That's the commitment we've made to our customers. That's what we're executing on. And we're going to be their cybersecurity partner of choice. We were surprised to see an article in the Wall Street Journal which said U.S. saw signs of decline in Russian ransomware strikes at start of Ukraine war. That is not what my anecdotal information says. Is that what you're seeing? Well, I think, you know, uh, Jim, the debate has begun sort of what's going on with Ukraine and what's going on with Russia. I I keep saying this is not over yet. If you look at what's coming out of the White House in terms of cybersecurity advisories, if you look at what they're doing in terms of getting people to spend more money, getting people to go zero trust, they know something. They're trying to make sure that we're all well prepared. And look, right now what's happening is we're getting more interest from nation states, which are around Ukraine and Russia, to make sure they're fortifying their defenses because... This is not over. People expect this to sustain. People have, you know, the cyber attackers and hackers have found this is an easy way to create economic chaos. And I just want to make sure that every company out there, every piece of critical infrastructure is well protected. In fact, two weeks ago, we lost something. I'm going to show you, Jim. We lost, we launched zero trust with zero exceptions because we launched a new product which is going to make sure that our customers can be secure. Keep that open for a second. That's ZTNA. And we need to know more about it because I think that it's going to be, it's the leader now. Others have tried to do this. You've got it all in one shirt. Tell us more about it. <laughs> well, Jim, look, the fundamental principle of zero trust, this is consistent with the White House executive order, is you have to make sure that you're applying similar policies across every which way people access your infrastructure. If you change your policies, which means you're creating special exceptions for different circumstances. So you can't do that. You have to have no exceptions and you can't trust anything. That's the only way you get perfect security. So we've made sure we've reoriented our architectures, built capabilities and launched this very assertively to all of our customers a few weeks ago to make sure that they can deploy zero trust into their enterprise. And we're the only company who can do that. Now, let's just talk person for a second. All, something's changed here, Nikesh. In the last, since I've seen you, I've had friends who had to lost $30,000 and lost 20000 and lost significant amounts of money because it's not, not everyone's, nothing seems insured anymore. I have friends who've had to unfortunately be involved with ransomware. Something happened in the last three months to make it so that we are vulnerable. How do we ourselves stop this? Well, Jim, you know, what has happened is you witnessed this. Uh, we've seen a f- tremendous numbers of supply chain attacks. People have gone and hacked pieces of infrastructure, whether it's a solar yes. winds attack or the log 4J attack or the exchange server attack. Now, what that happens is those things are being used by tens of thousands of customers out there. 
And that becomes a backdoor for all cyber attackers to be able to go through those vulnerabilities and park themselves in those infrastructures, and then over time, move laterally across that enterprise, and then go ahead and shut them down and demand ransom. So all these vulnerabilities that we're seeing from an infrastructure perspective are causing the situation we're in. This requires us in the technology industry to build more secure software because tens of thousands of customers around the world are relying on it. That's the message from this. And that's going to take a while. Until then, we've got to make sure we're deploying behavioral and artificial intelligence, behavioral sciences, to make sure when we see anomalous behavior, we go and shut it down. Well, it is very clear to me that if I were running a bank, I, I think I have to, Nikesh, I would have to hire you. I think one day our Justice <laughs> Department is going to sue someone who didn't take this seriously enough and didn't go for, show me the shirt again. ZT. Well, you know what, Jim, what's going to, here we go. Zero trust with zero exceptions. Right? Well, when I see you in California, will you give us a long, a, a long story about what that really is? Because to me, it is the future and you have it. I want to thank you, Nikesh, for once again, giving us something to cheer about. A great quarter, fantastic work. Nikesh Aurora, CEO of Palo Alto Networks, deservedly up 40 points today and will be up even more tomorrow. Thank you, Nikesh. Great to see you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me again. May have money's back after the break. It is time. And then the lightning runs over. Are you ready? William in Virginia. William. Good evening, Jim. How are you, my friend? Good. How you doing, William? Excellent. Tell me something on SoFi Technologies, Jim. What happened there, my Uh, friend? I think it is. Wow. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it. I think it's bottom here. I really do. Six, seven, six, seven, six, seven. And I think Anthony Noto's got it. Let's go to Devin in New Jersey. Devin. Hey, Jim, I've been watching you since I'm 14, and I want to thank you for all you do. Oh, thank you, my friend. Thank you. Okay, Jim, my question is about a company that just announced a $50 million buyback, trades at a low multiple, has 53% revenue growth in their first quarter, but 123% in direct to consumer revenue growth. How do you feel about the transformation of Playboy Group? Kicker. Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, uh, let's deal with it as it is. Uh, let's play it as it lays, as uh, a great author once said. Uh, to me, this company's losing money, and therefore it's been losing money, and I just don't want to touch it. I don't want to touch money losers. I'm going to go to George in Illinois, please, George. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Your box office, triple booyah! Wow, I love it. What's going on? Uh, you like DraftKings in the 40s, then you kind of cooled off on it, and yesterday you believed at the bottom. So bottom line, Mr. Yimmy Chill, are you a buyer today? Where you All right, I like the 40s, not a cut. I didn't, fortunately, exit it correctly. Um, I do think that Jason Robbins did a very good job when he was on Squawk. I really like what he had to say. And I know if California and Florida come on, you're going to say, why didn't I buy it at 14? But there's a lot of capacity in that industry. And you go to Jeremy in South Dakota. Jeremy. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, just wanted to thank you for what you do. Part of the Investment Club. First time caller, long time listener. Hey, what's the news out of China? Everyone should join the club. Everyone should join the club. Thank you. What's up? Uh, What's the news out of China? Do you take a jump in Alibaba? Uh, I can't anymore. I mean, I know it's tempting. But I cannot have them hurt our viewers anymore. Okay? I can't. I can't let that happen. Arthur in New York. Arthur. Hey, Jim, how are you tonight? I'm good. How about you? 
Good, good. So I watch your show every night. So thank I you. called you about. Thank you. Um, called your show. I uh, I bought uh, Cloudfair. Um, you know they ha- they handle a few different divisions. But besides that, I bought it at. Uh, I think I bought it if I'm not mistaken. Dude, stick twenty one twenty. All right, well, look, I think Matthew Prince is terrific. He's always welcome to the show. The business is very good. They're going to be able to make money because they're going to be able to make money. I am fine with Cloudflare. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer takes a firm stance on the great rate debate. Find out why he's urging Jay Powell to take the gloves off. Next. Morning, David Faber, my squawk on the street compadre, seemed shocked when I said that Fed Chief Jay Powell must move with alacrity to stop inflation by taking his previous commitment to just 50 basis point rate hikes off the table. He needs to act and act now with a much tougher stance. Powell has the freedom to go big. He could even do a 100 basis point hike, and he should because we need to break the back of inflation before it becomes too ingrained in the economy. After the superinflation-inspired earnings disasters we just got from Target and Walmart, Everyone should understand the urgency of the situation. It's right in your face. David was aghast. He said, you love Jay Powell. How could you turn him like this? First, I denied that I love Powell. I love my wife, my kids, uh, the fellow Eagles. But more important, it's clear I gave Powell too much of a free pass back in December when he knew it was time to tighten and held off anyway because of Omicron worries. Even then, we knew Omicron would be more mild than Delta in terms of symptoms, so he could have started raising interest rates months ago. I don't think it's too late to fix the problem. (laughs) That's actually generous. But when you see the kind of inflation that the automakers are dealing with or the home builders, the retailers, things are out of control. There's a school of thought that says if we just let prices go higher, we'll get to a point where there's demand destruction. That will ultimately tame inflation. That school is dead wrong. Inflation doesn't just burn out. You get a wage price spiral that gets more and more extreme. If higher prices could destroy enough demand to matter, well, you wouldn't have seen existing home prices this morning continue to soar. I mean, it's just not happening. So let's go back to Chairman Powell. Remember, we want him to engineer a soft landing for the economy, meaning that ideally we don't want him to cause a recession in order to kill inflation. But how do you engineer a soft landing? I think you do it by acting decisively and getting the pain over with. The longer Powell dallies with small rate hikes, the more likely we will have a crash landing because these smaller hikes haven't slowed inflation one bit. The only commodity I've seen going down is the price of chicken wings from Wingstop, which we had on last night. Stock prices are weaker, too, but only from a very elevated level last November. A rapid series of large rate hikes would allow Powell to quickly cool down the economy to the point where many of the shortages out there would end because we no longer have a labor squeeze, which is really a lot. That's what's behind a lot of tightness. It would break the endless cycle of salespeople asking for 30 percent increases and then getting them. Powell needs to understand that the threat of a recession now, not an actual recession, but the threat of one, is the right tool for the job here. And he can't do that if he's just going to raise by 50 basis points at a time and tie his hands behind his back. Look, when Powell said he was planning a series of lockstep rate hikes in 2018, I was all all over him. I criticized him because inflation wasn't out of control. We barely had any at the time. That's what I said. When he stopped that madness and then pivoted to zero rates to head off a COVID-induced recession, I cheered. 
I'm only jeering now because it's obvious from Walmart and Target that inflation's gotten out of control. It's time to pull out the big guns. I'm not saying it would cure every shortage. Higher rates do not make for more baby formula. But the higher rates will ultimately make housing more affordable, cars and trucks. They'll be easier to find, especially because I learned just yesterday that the semiconductor shortage for autos has been easing up in the last six weeks. Most important. When you go to buy something at Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart or Target, the prices will stop exploding higher because rapid rate hikes will make them too afraid to raise prices aggressively for fear of being part of a recession. The time to strike big is now when jobs are plentiful so layoffs can be tolerated. We can't have the average worker getting a 5% raise while everything he has to pay for is 9%. So, yes, I like Jay. But this show is about making money, not making friends. And your money will be worth less and less if Powell doesn't start raising interest rates dramatically at the next meeting. By the way, that would actually help your portfolio because it, too, is collapsing because of inflation's pernicious impact on future earnings. Mr. Powell, you need to catch up to where you'd be if you'd started tightening on on time after Omicron hit. There is no time like the present. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.